and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 422. That's right. What are we talking about tonight? We have a plethora of things, but the main event is Future State, which was kind of it was kind of nice to know someone on Facebook was actually interested in us talking about Future State. And, and to our <laughs> one fan, you're gonna, you know, we hope we make you happy tonight. <laughs> but first, but first, and no, uh, it's not. It's not Godzilla versus Kong, though, though, though that would have been a nice a nice episode. Uh, but Chad has some nice things before we get into the meat of this episode he wants to discuss. So Yeah, which of the two should I start with, you think? Um, which, which is more excitable? That's really super, super debatable, I suppose. <laughs> I trust I trust your judgment. Go with, uh, no, no, no. Actually, let me take that back. I do trust your judgment, but let's do the... Let's do the whole Twitter thing first and then because the other one, I think that's going to be also the, the shorter of the two, potentially, because you might want to wax poetic more about the other one a little bit longer. So let's start. Uh, with. Yeah. OK, so as you guys know, we over at the Lantern cast, that includes myself and Mark, as well as Jim and Dan and Jason and James and a bunch of names that newer listeners haven't heard in a long time or have never heard of. If you've never gone back and listened to the old stuff, the Lantern cast has been around in total for 12 plus years. As a matter of fact, just today or yesterday, was it today? Yesterday? No, today. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Recently. As we record this, which is a Monday, the 25th today or yesterday, I got the notification on Twitter that our Twitter account is 10 years old, which all sets up nicely to tell you that we only have 868 followers. Now, we can choose to be upset about that. We could choose to be disappointed about that or we could do something about it. So we're going to do something about it. Um, We're going to have a contest. Now, the prize um, I told everybody uh, over on Twitter what I, what I was teasing about this, that all of the details of the contest would uh, be revealed in this episode. Now, that is mostly true um, because I will be posting a photo of the items included in the prize that will be going out to one lucky listener uh, on Twitter. Uh, I will not be telling all of the details of the prizes, the prize items on this episode. Why? Because part of this contest, the big part of this contest, is getting people to follow us on Twitter. Now, over the years, there have been multiple ways to get Twitter, 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 Twitter followers. Now, you can do this multiple different ways. Paying for it is one of the options. No, thank you. 
Another option is follow for follow, meaning somebody follows you, you follow them. Well, in today's era of, you know, uh, politically charged statements and uh, other not so popular items, sometimes that's not very well done. Also, it doesn't really make a lot of sense as a podcast when you use uh, your podcast platform and your social media as a way to network with others. If I follow every single person who follows us, then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when I go into the home feed of the Lantern cast and look for other tweets from other podcasters to interact with or other stuff related specifically to Green Lantern, because the people who follow us don't necessarily post only about Green Lantern. So when you want to tailor your feed to something that you'll be able to interact with as a show, it doesn't make sense to follow everybody. But then you have things like I remember when the Supergirl TV show first started, or was announced, rather. Someone announced that they would be doing a Supergirl TV show podcast. Awesome. Wonderful. Happy for them. Uh, it's, you know, well, let's get as many podcasts as we can about comic books, and as long as people love the subject matter they're talking about, bring it the hell on. But within days of being created, that account had like 2,000-something followers. And that, uh, yeah, maybe it's comparison hangover. Maybe I shouldn't do it. I don't know. I felt a bit, eh about that um but let's let like i said let's do something about it the goal right now is 1000 twitter followers we are at 868 i think it is entirely doable that we reach a thousand the contest ends when we hit a thousand notice i didn't give you a date so this contest could end a week after you hear this episode or it could end a year after you hear this episode it is up to you I will tell you some of the items included in this. The first being something I mentioned and shown in a, had already shown in a picture on Twitter. When Funko released the Green Lantern and Green Arrow Funko Pez dispensers on their website, it was a Funko shop exclusive limited to 1,500 pieces per character. I got two of each. I got two Green Lanterns and two Green Arrows. One for me and one to be given as a prize in the future. So these are limited edition Funko Shop exclusive Pez dispensers of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. I also said at some point during the 2020 year that I planned to buy multiples of the Alan Scott Funko Pop. As of right now, I have three. One of those Funko Pops will be included in that prize. In addition, a reader copy, reader copy of Green Lantern, Green Arrow will be included in that prize. Um, let me grab the thing just so you guys know. It is uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow issue number 84. I have an extra reader copy and it's important. I say reader copy. You'll see why in the thing, but it is pageable. It's a classic issue. And uh, that's something. But those are not the only things that will be included in this prize. One lucky winner will get this. How do you enter? I told you, you have to follow us on Twitter. Another thing you have to do is you have to email lanterncast at gmail.com and tell us what your Twitter handle is so that we can go verify that you follow us. Okay? This is why I'm sharing the instructions only on our podcast and not online. Because we don't want a bunch of bots to do this thing. So one, follow us on Twitter. Two, email lanterncast at gmail.com and tell us your Twitter handle. Bonus points, and I won't tell you what those are, if you give us some sort of feedback for the show. It can be favorite episode. It can be comments uh, in response to one of our recent episodes. It can, whatever. Your personal story with Green Lantern. Favorite Green Lantern and why. Whatever. Just has to be relevant. Bonus points if you do that. But 
basic rules. Follow us on Twitter, email lanterncast at gmail.com, and tell us what your Twitter handle is. And make sure that we know when you email us in the subject line <laughs> what the what the email is about. If you if you call it something that's very clearly spam, you're screwed, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, I will check the spam folder just to make sure uh, before I clear it out. Um, but that's it. It ends when we get a thousand followers. Now you may be saying, Chad. What about these folks who follow only for a chance at the prize and then unfollow you when you're done? There's going to be a second contest, and that second contest will be for 2,814 followers. And if you don't know why we want 2,814 followers, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Uh, You may be listening to the wrong show. (laughs) But uh, You can can only try so hard, Chad. (laughs) I know. I know. and and just as an incentive, uh, while this first prize that I'm offering here for the thousand followers uh, is is good, the second one, while it may, while it may not have as many items, is definitely better because there's going to be definitely either a signed items or b first appearances. Haven't decided yet. First, you guys have to get us to a thousand. So follow us on Twitter. And then send an email to lanterncast at gmail.com and let us know what your Twitter handle is. That's all you have to do. Contest ends when we hit a thousand. Let's see. We, we should we should have a secret over and under on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it, it it would be interesting to see if there's a spike. If there's a a COVID-like spike with our followers. <laughs> There's one other thing I have to mention. I can only do this for people who are in the continental United States. Now, I would like to say, because it's I have some expendable income, that I could open it up to other countries. But the problem of COVID throws shipping out of whack. Not just the price of shipping to other places, but the amount of time it takes to get something out. So while I would love to open this up to people outside the continental United States, it doesn't make any sort of sense uh, in terms of follow through to include them because I wouldn't be able, you know, for all we know, it could take two, three months for the package to get anywhere. I don't know. It could get lost. Let, let's let's talk about the, the continental United States. I think there's still plenty of people out there in the continental United States to follow us over on Twitter. And if you want the contest to end so that you can possibly be one of the people chosen, you know, it doesn't hurt to retweet or try and get your own followers to listen to the lantern cast. You xenophobic bastard. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that makes sense with everything oh, going makes, on, right? Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I, yeah, I was trying, I, I have a friend of mine who I'm, in in colombia and i was trying to figure out i was planning on sending a package over and it's like i'm looking at possible ways to do this and i'm and again i don't know if this is accurate this was just one of those things you pump you pump pumping information into the formula of where you want to send stuff and on fedex and it's like again i don't know if it's accurate but it was like 200 something dollars to ship something yeah. to colombia it's like i think she'll be waiting a little bit longer than i planned then. <laughs> Yeah, it just doesn't make sense right now, uh, monetarily or in term of time span, because, you know, uh, we, we want to make sure that whoever gets the prize gets it and gets it quickly so that we can make sure we're following through on our word. So we are at LanternCast at LanternCast on Twitter. Find us. Follow us. Be in the continental United States. Send us an email. LanternCast at gmail.com. Contest ends when we hit a thousand. It is your call this is up to you when this ends so uh 
talk about the lantern cast on twitter tag us and tell the people why you listen what episodes are your favorite recommend us to some friends of yours that you follow on twitter or mutuals you follow on twitter who might be interested in the show other podcasts you listen to who think might be interested in you know wouldn't it be cool if oh man this is my other favorite podcast and i also listen to lantercast wouldn't it be cool if they teamed up some die you know whatever whatever the hell you find a way to talk about the lantern cast to get more people to follow us that'll get us to a thousand quicker and maybe uh maybe it'll up your chances because maybe those people won't have heard this episode telling you to email us with your twitter handle and they won't do that part of it which ups your chances of winning i'm not telling the full rules on twitter I will tell people they can only find the full rules on this episode on Twitter. That's what I'll tell them. If they want the rules, they have to listen. So, and, and you can, and you can use the hashtag up yours. <laughs> chat tells listeners up yours and a very, very special episode of the lantern. <laughs> so listeners who have been with us for a long time, who might be worried. Oh man, I'm uh, Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I've been a loyal listener forever. Well, you already have a leg up. All you got to do is join Twitter if you're not already there. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. This, this, this is a pot. This is a contest for listeners. So get out there and do it, and stick with us because, like I said, there's a bigger prize coming down the line. Now, this leads kind of to my second thing. Chad, why is one of the prizes such a random issue like a reader copy of Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 84? Why? Why, oh, why? Well, you might be hearing me jostle some comic books around here. I have been going on an eBay spending spree, and I've been posting some photos over on Twitter, speaking of Twitter, of some of my purchases. My Green Lantern mail calls is what I call them. Now, what these are are the items I've been picking up from eBay. I told some people on Twitter that I would tell you guys how I'm getting these issues. And it's as simple as go to eBay. Now, that might sound like the dumbest tip in the world. But if there is one thing, one thing that is good about the massive low interest in Green Lantern as a franchise right now, it's that you can get comic books from early eras of Green Lantern cheap now i am not looking for cgc nines and eights i am not looking for pristine covers i'm looking for reader copies that look good and are they called mylar mark not the not the traditional uh comic book bags and boards but the ones that are a little more plasticky shiny little thicker plastic is that mylar bags i think that's what they are yes okay that look really nice behind a Mylar bag. Because you want the comic to be intact. You want the staples to hold on to what's on the inside. You want to, you know, none of the none of the stuff where kids have cut out like a, a, a advertisement or something like that. You want the comic intact and you want the cover to look good. That's what I consider a reader copy. Well, in my hands, I have several things that are already have already made their way through the postal system to me. And there are more on the way today. Today I got green lantern. Number 50. This is Thrax on the powerful versus green lantern, the powerless. Now I'm not going to mention the shipping costs I paid on these because just as an FYI guys, depending on where the seller lives and what methods of shipping are available to them based on where they live, shipping can vary wildly. 
So it makes no sense to tell you what the shipping is. But Green Lantern number 50. Great reader copy. Cover intact. Your staples are there. Nothing's cut out. Again, everything I mentioned. I paid 15 bucks for it. Green Lantern number 55, which is the one where uh, Hal Jordan is standing in front of a power battery where a guardian has a uh, squadron of Green Lanterns pointing their rings at him. And it says, and for committing the worst of all crimes, Green Lantern of Earth, you've been sentenced to be power ring to death. Cosmic enemy number one. Great reader copy. I paid $11 for it. Uh, Let me see here. I have got this one is that that. All right, so Green Lantern number 84. Uh, This is the one I told you would be part of a package uh, of prizes. I got this issue twice, which wasn't on purpose. (laughs) I was just an idiot, wasn't paying attention. Um, But both of them decent reader copies. This is Green Lantern Green Arrow number 84, which shows um, Hal and Ollie tied up. Wouldn't the world be a better place without Green Lantern and Green Arrow? Why don't you kill them and find out? Uh, I have two copies of these, decent reader copies. Uh, one of them, uh, which you'll see in the image, has, uh, I guess, a kid or maybe someone at the store when it was originally sold had took a red marker and wrote the numbers two, and it looks like four or maybe an X, but they're smaller. doesn't really do much to the comic. So either way, I bought it for uh, twice. I bought it once for $12 and another for $8. I bought a bundle pack. That bundle pack, uh, was originally listed on eBay for $5. And that bundle pack had in it Green Lantern number 55, which is the zero-hour tie-in during the Kyle Rayner era, Action Comics Weekly number 608, 614, and 622, which all have Green Lantern covers, but also included in there were reader copies of Green Lantern Green Arrow number 79, which is uh, Hal Jordan strapped to a totem pole while Green Arrow is an uh, Indian headdress. Uh, the Green Lantern Green Arrow number 81, which guest stars Black Canary in the population explosion, as well as Green Lantern number 83 and A Child Shall Destroy Them, which is the guy who looks like Nixon on the cover. All three of those reader copies including those four bonus issues I mentioned, I ended up paying $31 for that package and not including, even not including the bonus issues of Action Comics Weekly and the Kyle Rayner issue. That works out to 10 bucks per Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams era issues. Now, those are just the ones I've already received in the mail. On my way to me, I have Green Lantern number 46, $12. That's the one where uh, all the lanterns are carrying Hal on their hands and shoulders. Um, uh, the I also have Green Lantern Green Arrow number 82, 16 bucks. That's the one with the harpies on the cover. Uh, and I also have Green Lantern number 89, which is the one where the environmentalist dude who looks like Jesus is strung up on the, uh, the wing of a jet, the last issue of the Denny O'Neill Neil Adams run. That one... $7. Green Lantern Green Arrow number 80, which is the newsprint cover where it says Guilty and Hal and Ollie and uh, the Guardian are tied up. 16 bucks. And last but not least, the most I spent on an issue, Green Lantern number 86. This is the second part of the Speedy Does Drugs storyline. So the iconic cover obviously has a Speedy bent over the table and you know my ward is a junkie the second part of that features a red backsplash big needle in front of a bunch of faces hal is got his hands on his head and he's looking up at the sky screaming 
while Ollie is carrying the body of Speedy towards the reader. Green Lantern number 86, 35 bucks. That is an iconic story, uh, uh, comic book issue. Now, it's not as iconic as 85, which I already have, but it's difficult to get that issue in a decent copy, uh, a decent uh, uh, you know, grade or whatever, because of its connection to the story. So really all that leaves me with, I almost have a full run of the Denny O'Neill, O'Neill, Neil Adams, Green Lantern, Green Arrow run from cheap ass purchases on eBay, save for Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 76, the first issue, which in doing some research, I'm probably not going to walk away paying less than i want to say between 125 175 i'll feel lucky if i pay that much for it so those are all the purchases now you may think some of that is expensive especially for reader copies it's not uh go look at the purchase history on some of those some of those uh are about average a lot of those are below but uh, i'm pretty proud of myself man i have almost a complete run of my favorite era of green lantern and then I just got a bunch of random Silver Age stuff for, dude, man, <laughs> 15 bucks, seven bucks. Like, this is this is awesome. We may need an eBay intervention soon, Chad, though. <laughs> uh, I will. I will. I was hesitant to tell people about this because it means I'm going to have some competition. But, um, uh, you know, it, all for one and one for all, uh, because uh, this is this is this is too good to pass up on. Now, standard eBay rules apply, guys. You know, check the seller see what their rating is, read their reviews, see where they're at, how much is the shipping, you know, things like that. And also be wary. Um, uh, A couple of these issues were sent to me in plastic wrap bags uh, with with bubble wrap, not in bags and boards. They just shoved the comic books in, you know, bereft of bags and boards, bereft of cardboard around both sides to protect them, just shoved them in bubble wrap and sent them. Okay. So buyer beware. I got lucky. And also just because it says G or VG good, very good. Or someone is making a claim that it's an eight point, whatever. It doesn't mean that's what it is. And you're not going to win the argument with eBay when uh, you complain to them. I want my money back because it's not what they said it was. They're not going to eBay's not going to side with you on that one. So buyer beware. Do your research. But I'm telling you, keep an eye on the Green Lantern search term on eBay. Because some of this stuff is going for real cheap right now. That is that is one of those benefits of the franchise being in the crapper. <laughs> I mean, it is. I uh, other other than eighty, uh, uh, other than seventy six, all I have left is eighty eight. But eighty eight doesn't really theoretically count as a Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams era issue because eighty eight was just reprints. So it's it's seventy six through um, eighty seven, and then eighty nine was their last issue, and then the, the series was canceled for a few years until Denny and Mike Grell picked it up. So I almost have the entire series except for the reprint issue, which shouldn't be hard to find cheap. And then the first issue, which is the last big one I have. Thank God I already have John Stewart's first appearance and uh, the Speedy Does Drugs story because I, I can't ass- imagine getting those right now. Yeah, I would assume the, the reprint issue should be pretty easy to get. Yeah. Yeah, 88 should be should be no problem at all. But um, yeah, and and one of those issues is currently I'm I'm trying to find. I I don't know if it got lost in the mail or just delayed. But again, some of these things are 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 so cheap. It's the uh, which one is it? It's the 
one I paid $7 for. If it got lost in the mail and I didn't get it, it's not like I spent $78 on it, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I didn't want to spend too much time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm looking at like right now on eBay. There's one four days left. Green Lantern number 88, $2. <laughs> $2. <laughs> like, $8, $8 shipping, $2 for the, for the book. <laughs> uh 450 shipping <laughs> but yes um yeah I, I didn't want to spend too much time on that uh but i that is it, it would have been one thing if i got lucky with one or two issues but this is a pretty consistent run of wow i spent less than 20 bucks on basically everything except green lantern number 86 and i spent like 31 dollars on the bundle but again that works out to 10 bucks for <laughs> per issue of GLGA, not including the bonus shit they sent me. So nicely done, Chad. Nicely done. Yeah. So go to eBay folks. If you're looking to fill in your old runs. All right. There's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm letting that go. <laughs> fill in your runs, fill in the runs. Chad. <laughs> when Chad talks about runs, it gets good ratings. <laughs> All right, what's uh, up next? Oh, God. Now, part of me wants to be funny and say this is where the fun begins, but it probably, I mean, I guess there are some parts of what we're going to talk about that are entertaining. Not everything, though. All right, so let's do a soup. Let's talk about Generation Shattered, number one. It's going to be, this is going to be your real bare bones about what's going on in this book. And if I overlook something super relevant, feel free to add to it. But I'm just going to basically... Here's a surprise. Dan Jurgens is writing about some crisis in time. <laughs> that would have been better if Development turned out to be the same one as in Zero Hour, which I would have been cool you know, if Convergence Parallax factored into this. But he does not. So essentially, we have a, cri- a crisis in time. We have an old man, Booster Gold, goes to rescue Commandy, who's obviously a huge factor in the story as as it's currently structured. Commandy inherits Boost, booster gold who gets old man booster gold who gets damaged and he he's running out of time he doesn't think he can make it so he's got a gauntlet version of skeets in the future and he gives it to command and he basically tells him to help command he basically put together this team to help try to avert and resolve this crisis in time so we end up hopping and skipping and with a few mistakes along the way we end up what with superboy from the legion era we end up with sinestro green lantern firestar steel which he has some cool moments in this book. Batman 1939, classic Booster Gold, and the female hero version of Dr. Light. I did like the fact that uh, there are some cool tie-ins in this, referring to things that Jurgens has done before, like tying in the fact that Commandy, which really doesn't make any sense. But now, of course, now you can justify that Commandy did actually meet Batman back, you know, back in an issue, that version of Batman, like in Detective Comics or something. And that the villain of this, Dominus, was a... Probably most people don't even probably haven't haven't even heard of or hadn't heard of until the build up for this uh, event that Dominus was an old Superman villain that popped up in in the 1990s. And, of course, Jurgens wrote him as well. So basically this this team confronts Dominus, who uses the the linear men and he puts together his own team to basically to try to stop the heroes. And eventually he ends up sending the heroes off for different places in different moments in time so they can be hunted down one by one. And basically it's like a cliffhanger where we're left. And what and what's the what's the second part of this call? Oh, shit. I don't know. Generations Forged. Yes. Generations Forged. Yeah. Which comes out pretty much at the end of all this. So that is a, that is essentially the setup there. I mean, there are some cool confrontations in this, like when you have Steel versus Cyborg Superman during the era of Reign of the Superman in from his from that timeline. And uh, 
Major Force taking on Sinestro was kind of a nice touch. It's it's they have, they have some cool confrontations in this, and I and I like it, and I do like the fact that oh, you know, time is splitting into shards, and you know, all everybody's history is being erased because Dominus is just making one timeline, and and but that that is the essential gist of of Generation Shattered. Didn't Jurgens also write Booster Gold? Yes, absolutely. Booster because Gold. Uh, there is a there's a brief panel here where you see Rip Hunter in the present, and he has something that uh, uh, Dan did a lot in the Booster Gold series, which is the chalkboard. Yes. Which says a bunch of stuff. In this case, it says the princess is key. Fine Doomtown. Cave Carson has it. Ray Palmer. Giant. So uh, if anybody who knows Dan Jurgens, uh, especially his little uh, hints about the larger DCU on the chalkboard, uh, those might be relevant in the future. I do like this uh, spread where uh, it's showing the different characters that are involved in this thing, like the, the, the spread showing what I assume will be the Justice League or, or the main DC stuff that we'll be focusing on uh, as we move forward into uh what was it called a uh, frontier In- infinite frontier infinite right here yeah this is this is this is um sort of future state uh you know illusions but also what's to come post future state but it's cool that we we have we have guy we have Hal, we have john we have baz we have jessica uh and we have um joe. we have joe uh I don't Jade is not here or Obsidian, but I know that they're on the cover for uh, Infinite Frontier Zero or One or whatever that issue number is. But I do like this art, man. Yvonne Hayes bringing it back, doing some some justice in this stuff. Um, I don't know anything about the villain. It was cool seeing the Legion. I know you don't give two shits of a two two pounds of a monkey fart, whatever. But <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I don't. I don't think three pounds of monkey crap covers it for how little do you care about the Legion. But it was cool to have that moment. I know you were probably giddy a little bit with the cyborg and steel uh, and the eradicate and the and and not the classic version. Well, actually, depends on one's perspective. Not the reign of the Superman version of the Eradicator, but the Krypton Man version of the Eradicator. That he has he has his moment in there too. We get a Hector Hammond sighting. Not yeah. a particularly well drawn version of Hector Hammond, but maybe it's <laughs> depending on. The time frame going up against uh, Kimmy Yu, a.k.a. Yep. Dr. Light, Dr. Light um, in the year 1987, which I assume is crisis. So it's interesting that she's giving a presentation on seeing the hand at the beginning of the universe. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, this is a, an eclectic group of heroes that uh, comes together for this. And we have Wave Rider. We have Wave, wave Rider. Rider. Wave Rider, who's, who Jim may or may not excited about. Yeah, Wave, wave, wave Rider may or may not have rescued old man Rip. Uh, booster gold from dying we don't quite know it seems like it's possible since that's since he was on his way he was trying to save him as they disappear some of the artwork is really good obviously i really don't like john ramita jr's art at all which is kind of funny since i like his father's work so much i do not like his style at all which one did he do oh pages i'm just trying to find well i mean which it's a specific story right in this no, he, he well, does. He does pages 54 to 61 in this book. That style suits certain characters, which uh, is the confrontation. Oh, okay, I don't. I also don't like the uh, the Adam Strange Sinestro art personally, but I, there's nothing wrong with it. It's consistent throughout. I don't like the style. That's that's all it is. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a definitely a style thing. So the one th- 
the one thing, I mean, this is going to go over this, the crux of this story, as far as some of the old reference points that, that are being revisited are going to go over a lot of people's heads, whether that's relevant or not to the story. I don't think it's as relevant. Like if Morrison was doing this book, God forbid, that probably we'd all be 100% completely confused, hopelessly about what's going on. But it is cool from a Jurgens perspective that a lot of the things here are things that Jurgens had. He's revisiting a lot of his old stuff. And even the fact that when Commandy and Batman basically met before, I believe he did have something on his arm that looked like that was a gauntlet. Uh, so they kind of did tie it. They are tying it into that moment and they're tying it into Skeets. So that so that's kind of cool when you're re- revisiting your own stuff and tying in. So it's not not as much of a retcon or arguably you could say it's not a retcon if you're the one doing it yourself. So I thought I thought that was interesting. It is a really odd group of heroes. I kind of like I like it for me because the fact that there's I I know at least almost everybody here uh I I know everybody here at least conceptually but I obviously Sinestro Steel Commandy I read Commandy a lot as a kid Booster Gold yes it's another one of Jurgen's favorites uh Superboy from Legion Starfire um yeah I think I I you know I know some people didn't like this book but I I thought as a as a as a one shot and as something that again for someone who didn't read much of death metal either that i thought this was not a, the worst jumping on point of all time for this event so i can't i certainly think it's it's certainly like i think we'll agree it's not the worst thing we're going to be talking about tonight <laughs> for sure and the ending <clears throat> with the uh, black and white thing was interesting Especially given WandaVision out now. Yes, the uh, when Dominus just basically takes off his takes off his work clothes and, and it's time to go be a family man. <laughs> as he looks like John Kramer from Saw as he takes off his outfit. For sure. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It's a nice eclectic mix of artists and styles. Dan Jurgens. Um, while this is scatterbrained and weird and trippy and all that other stuff, uh, Dan Jurgens can usually hold together a story like that. Uh, and it gives us a kind of lead into where things are at and why we're getting future state uh he says you know uh time is my domain and i'm gonna scatter you guys across the um the fracturing timelines and stuff like that so uh, i don't think i've read anything in future state that shows like one of these characters just sort of dropping in unannounced uh or one of the villains that's supposed to go after them or anything to that effect um so maybe they're just witnesses to some of these uh, possible timelines or something like that. But uh, I don't think Generation Shattered and Forged is supposed to play too tight of a role in uh, in what is happening and why in Future State. That's probably true. It's, it's probably something where there's like stuff happening behind the scenes that if you never read it, it's not going to mean if you don't know, you know, the backstory, it's not going to matter much the way it, you're just going to know things are going to revert or potentially revert and you're not going to know why. So right. I, I so I, I agree. I think I don't think it's probably not super critical that we know that you if you read these issues, but it. But it's, it's but it definitely was fun. So I, I'm I'm certainly interested in reading the conclusion. It's the other one shot, the next one shot that comes out. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so next up we have Future State Justice League. Um, this one has two different stories: one with the Justice League and one with uh, the Justice League Dark. Um, the writer is Joshua Williamson. The penciler is Robson Roca. The inker is Daniel Henriquez, colorist Romulo Fajaro Jr. Uh, it looks like the letter is Tom Napolitano. Cover Dan Mora. Variant cover Kale NGU. 
And then there's a bunch of other variant covers. Associate edit, editor Andrea Shea, Alex Carr, Alex R. Carr editor, and uh, Chris some creation credits. So we open up with the the new the new Justice League and sort of their history in this universe, fighting against looks like uh, some of Dark Dark Side and his uh, parademons infected by Evil Star. Uh, looks like some sort of magical beasts. Uh, then it looks like maybe. Uh, joker with the power of multiplex or something uh things like that the, the threats they've faced over the years we have superman who is the son of superman we have um green lantern who is lantern joe uh, she united all the core just in time to solve oa's greatest mystery we have the flash they came from the multiverse to warn our world of a great conspiracy and stayed behind to help with the fallout uh, we have Wonder Woman. Her predecessor wished to bring peace to humanity, but she wished to bring peace to the gods. Batman, he did the one thing his predecessor didn't, truly saved Gotham. And Aquawoman, the daughter of two great heroes, explored the universe, forging new pathways between worlds and uniting them like never before at great personal cost. These are the individuals who make up the Justice League. We see this uh, future's version of the Legion of Doom plotting against them t.o morrow looks like brainiac despera who's Despero's sister amaze x cobalt blue the screech owl the flood and the ultraviolet lantern they say tomorrow the justice league will die and then it is tomorrow and the legion of doom are dead <laughs> uh and the justice league is uh there to investigate the crime scene well rather lantern joe stays behind to investigate the crime scene while everybody else uh basically dips out after a getting a couple of selfies with the public outside the hall of justice where this crime scene is um Aquaman darts off, as does the Flash. Um, Superman and Wonder Woman go get a hot dog. And one of the interesting things revealed here is how this new Justice League functions. As Wonder Woman says to John, uh, Superman, John, after what happened to your dad's team, we all decided it was safer for us to operate differently than the Justice League did in the past. That we'd be a smaller, tighter team. That we would only be together when we really needed to. Hell, I shouldn't even be breaking bread with you now. So they don't hang out. They don't, uh, they're not supposed to get together. They're not supposed to do anything like that. The Justice League is supposed to be just a small group of powerful individuals who come together when need be, and that's it. Um, because apparently the original Justice League was betrayed. Now, back in Amnesty Bay, we see um, Aquawoman. Uh, talking to Mara and uh, Arthur about her day. She hangs up. Flash shows up on the couch and uh, they're hanging out together. Um, and uh, this is all while Lantern Joe is still back at the original Hall of Justice investigating everything. Superman and Wonder Woman show up in Amnesty Bay saying we need to talk. Just as Superman shows up to double check on Lantern Joe to see how her investigation is going. Uh, and since Superman can't be in two places at once, they try to figure out who is who. Suddenly, Flash is zapped away into a puff of smoke. Aquaman fights back, 
and she zapped away as uh, the false Superman and Wonder Woman fly off. Lantern Joe has concluded her investigation and that the Legion of Doom was taken out by individuals who have the same power as the Justice League. She fights them. She is taken out. Then the original Superman and Wonder Woman are taking out the Batman and suddenly through what looks like a boom tube from either a mother box or a father box, um, it uh, they are freed. Uh, Tio Morrow thought he could use us to kill and replace the Justice League, that he can control the Hyper Clan. Um, but this time we will be the Justice League. Come, let's save the world. What do you think about this? It, it has potential. I thought the story by itself had had potential. It did take a little bit of you had to focus a little bit when when everybody started popping up in different places to try to figure out what what's exact you know what exactly is going on and and who you know all the clues about who's false and who's not to start because every, but and I and I still have to question personally related to Joe how why all of a sudden she's being made out to be this ultimate super detective because I don't think we've seen evidence and even in far sectors that that she's like. An equivalent of what our Batman is supposed to be as a detective. I don't, I don't, I don't believe I've gotten that vibe off of her that she's that good. Uh, so, but, but here they're making it sound like, you know, to giving the impression that she is. Though I did like the fact that she picked up on Superman because Superman called her Joe right away. That that's when he that's when, that was the first thing right off the bat that made her think that yeah that that's really Superman. It's like <laughs> I'm Superman, yeah, and I'm Hal Jordan. <laughs> It makes me want to. It does make me want to read, you know, the next the next part at least. I mean, so I guess that I guess in a, in a situation like this, I guess that's kind of like the most you can really ask for out of these stories. That when it's a two parter, that it makes you want to read the second part because if it doesn't, then it what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Um. So Hyper Clan, if you guys don't know, first appeared in JLA number one, 1997. Uh. So I believe that's what Morrison. The probably so i probably had that issue somewhere yeah uh this is uh the white martians um they are white they, they say in the story that they're white martians here the, the story i just recapped um so the hyper clan has been around uh but man i really enjoyed the art in this i'd like the i'm intrigued by the idea that the justice league is not supposed to fraternize but they are kind of anyways um and kind of what that does uh it looks like, um, yeah, it looks like uh, Flash is they they go by they pronouns. So this is uh, this is a different Flash, and it looks like it's a different Flash from perhaps another Earth that somehow got stuck on this one, based on kind of the what I'm getting out of this. Uh, I agree with you, Lantern Joe being sort of the crazy detective is. Um, sort of feels out of left field but at the same time doesn't because we've, we've been spinning well we'll have spent 12 issues with her trying to solve a mystery and how far is this into the future how many uh cases have she has she worked uh how does how does this what's happening in far sector wrap up is she put on another case is you know kind of kind of like uh you know the green lantern Corps has had its had its own internal affairs department at one point True. why not why not have a detective agency so like uh I, I you know batman is supposed to be the world's greatest fighter and greatest detective but this is a new justice league so i kind of it almost makes sense for green lantern who is you know you know, about law enforcement to have a detective role. So I think that's kind of cool. But uh, it's it's enough to intrigue me, to catch my eye, to make me wonder what's next. 
Uh, but I didn't get I, as much as I got this to like, you know, well, we got to get it for the show. Uh, Lantern Joe is in it from Far Sector. I had to get it also for the next one. Uh, but before we go into that, is there anything else you wanted to say about the Justice League story? No, I thought I thought it, it was intriguing enough with the characters that they threw in there, even if you knew nothing about them, to make you want to read more. It's like when they had that what was it Justice League 3000. Or whatever it was when they with Demetrius when he was doing that the, that version in the future that if you have if you throw characters together that are some that are intriguing enough even if they're absolutely brand new creations or you don't know anything about characters that may exist now but they're sending them into the future so they're completely different than, than the way we know them now so basically if you're not reading their books or the, their family of books now they are essentially new characters to you if they can grab if the story can grab your attention and make you want to read more then it it succeeds like i said and i think this one does succeed so i'll, I'll be curious to see how this how the second issue goes and that's pretty much all i do have to all i do have to say about this i think okay justice league dark i'll try to be even briefer here because there's no green lantern stuff to be found but it's just kismet that this is in the back of uh, a book we're already covering. So, you know, I had to talk about it. The Justice League Dark backup writer, written by Ram V, artist Marcio Takara, colorist Marcelo Maiolo, letterer Rob Lay, associate editor Andrea Shea, and editor Alex R. Carr. We open up with an old man uh, with another individual, uh, younger individual, over a barrel fire talking about the sky and what the omens are. But... Let's get to the relevant part in the Mojave Desert where we find Zatanna and Detective Chimp. Detective Chimp says, and I'm only going to read this part specifically as it sets up the world that we're in. Detective Chimp says, this is bad, Zatanna. Merlin returned, veiled the world in a glamour spell, and the Justice League dark fell apart. We lost friends. We lost our way. But this is really bad. And if we don't fight back somehow, things are going only going to get worse. And Z says, I don't know if you're an eternal optimist or just too scared to admit it, Bobo. But Merlin took all of magic as his own. The Tower of Fate fell. Khaled disappeared looking for a way to fix the helm. We resisted. We fought. We were betrayed. And we lost. This is what it looks like to lose. Merlin's witch hunt marches undeterred. I think we're long past fighting back. I'm just picking up the pieces, trying to save whatever I can. And they're in front of a scene of death and carnage and heads on pikes uh, as Bobo does his detective skills to find out what what, uh, what happened at this scene. Not only were people captured and burned, they were burned one by one in front of each other. Uh, and then suddenly they stumble across the burned corpse of Zariel and they wonder how they burned an angel. Uh, and Zatanna says he should see this. And Bobo resists at first, but then he says, gone, gone, the simian. Arise the demon Etrigan. <laughs> and uh, he is the host for the demon Etrigan now. He sees the burnt corpse of Zariel. He finds a, a bauble in Zariel's hands. Uh, they... Z-, Z says, with Merlin's hunters taking out anyone who deals in magic, who would be so reckless... Uh, Demon says he knows he's going to take her to him. They, they suddenly go, uh, they end up in a place in front of a, in, in, in a store called Relics and Rich Riches, where they, someone is already saying, we're closed, you can't be here, get the hell out, until he realizes who it is. And Zatanna goes, oh my God, Rory. Rory Regan, a.k.a. 
Ragman. They embrace. He says he's been laying low. He sees the demon and says, you know, what the hell is he doing here? Clearly the demon is one of the ones, if not the one who betrayed them. Um, the, uh, Rory recognizes the, the gem, says that John was looking for it because he was going to set up a glamour spell somewhere in old Vegas. And right as they're about to figure out where, go find John. Merlin's troops uh, have arrived outside of Rory's shop. They, we, we can't really survive this. We got to get out of here. And um, because the demon will not fight Merlin's troops, so they have to find some, some other way out. And he suggests the way that Rory doesn't want, but they go downstairs into the basement where Rory has chained up these suit of souls. Because the ragman suit got a mind of its own. It hungers for souls. There's no controlling it once it has what it's looking for. It ran out of souls a long time ago, and I uh, have had it down here just gathering dust since. So you see, it's not really an option. Please don't make me do this. To that, the demon Etrigan takes the soul out of his suit, hands it to Rory to for Rory to power up the suit as he converts back into... Uh, Bobo and Rory puts on the suit and is unleashed as a monstrous thing. Uh, and uh, Bobo asks, What kind of soul did Etrigan just give Ragman? Z replies, A very large and angry one, it would seem. Uh, they get out of there with a spell. They find uh, John uh, and Rory, John, Bobo, and Z go into uh, a place where they find Xanadu, who has been, Madam Xanadu, who has been reading the cards. The cards have been the same over and over and over again. And suddenly at the arrival of Z, Rory, Bobo, and John, they change. The devil card is pulled. And Bobo, being one of the world's greatest detectives, says the original tarot only points to a devil, not the devil. In each case, the card is represented by a demon. The card also means to be constrained, trapped, and tethered. Sigh. I think I know what this means, and I hate this part. He summons Etrigan again. Etrigan walks out, confronts the old man we saw at the beginning of the story, who has read the tea leaves and knows that uh, it is this hour. The demon Etrigan uses his hellfire, which helps undo the spell, masking this old man, and it is revealed that this is Khaled, Dr. Fate. And it's time for them to know the truth about Jason Blood. And the hour of victory for Merlin has drawn uh, close. So listen carefully to my story before we make our final stand. And I will tell you of the future that I saw and how we may yet change it, he says, as Dr. Fate. What do you think of this one? Here's a good backup story. I thought it was I thought this issue is relatively solid from the beginning and the end. I mean, obviously, if, if people aren't reading uh Justice, Justice League Dark, and this probably won't resonate as well. But it's an intriguing enough story, and follow, kind of follow. And and they do have Justice League tie-ins in the story about it going delving further into how the Justice League was betrayed, and things of that nature. So I think I I think it's a nice I think it's a nice complement to the first story. And just like the first story, it makes me interested in seeing how it plays out in the conclu- in the second issue. So yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought the art matched the tone. I really enjoyed uh, the use of Detective Chimp, Ragman being here is obviously what I'm here for. Uh, but it's cool. The it's interesting to have the Demon Etrigan in Bobo. Um, that's that's a weird card to play. That's kind of cool. 
Uh, I like that. So in, in terms of the Ragman stuff, and obviously I'll have to at some point post about this issue on my blog, but like in terms specifically of the Ragman stuff, Ragman uh, Rory ha- is running a shop called Relics and Riches, with, but they're outside of Old Vegas. So this is obviously not Gotham. So I don't know if this is a satellite store or something else, uh, pawn shop sort of a thing. It's interesting uh, because the original shop in Gotham was Rags and Tatters. So Relics and Riches, that's kind of cool. Uh, I like that. Uh, it makes sense. Everything I'm seeing in here makes sense uh, in terms of of what I see with the suit. He says that the, the, the suit hungers for souls uh, and it ran out of souls a long time ago. When the suit collects a soul, the way it works is the suit collects typically, depends on who's telling the story, but usually the soul of an evildoer. That soul then pays penance by serving in the suit. And once they have served enough, they are sort of let go from that the purgatory of being trapped in the suit and go on to their next life. Um, so that's sort of the life cycle of a soul within the ragman suit. They're not eternally trapped. It's just until they pay whatever cosmic entity determines what their penance is um, enough to make up for it. When the suit of souls is worn by somebody, that person can then call upon the abilities of the souls in the suit and or the information that that person had access to when they were alive. Um, So if, you know, Rory needs to lift the car off of somebody and it takes 10 men to do so, he can call on the strength of 10 souls in the suit to lift said car. Uh, So it's very cool. That they're in this dire situation where Merlin has kind of taken back all magic for the most part, put everybody back on their heels. It made sense that Rory got into the fight, and but he has only a finite amount of resources, and he burned them out. The soul or the suit of souls being created, it does hunger for souls. It needs it needs fuel. So it makes sense that if it is if it is without said fuel that it would crave said fuel so that's interesting the idea that the the demon etrigan has a soul on him that's cool because i think almost every other bit of magical literature says something along the lines of demons can make deals for people's souls right and souls can be currency in the afterlife in some form or another that concept has almost always existed in sort of magic based stories uh so it's interesting that all of a sudden, oh, you happen to have a demon here and demons trade in souls. So that's cool. I'm going to give you one of the souls I own. Now, I don't know what soul this is. It's obviously like some sort of a Hulk ripoff or something. But given the fact that the demon Etrigan has a soul on him, given the fact that the suit needs souls to work, and given the fact that uh, the, the suit is capable of drawing on the abilities of the souls trapped in the suit, all of this holds water to me. So I am just loving the hell out of this. And what's really cool is it's interesting. The way the suit looks here is fantastic because I, as much as I was happy that we had that Ragman series a couple of years back when they brought Ragman back, he looked like the mummy. I was, I was okay with it because we're talking the era in which we're talking that the suit is supposedly created in. It makes more sense that when it says rags, it's more like, you know, the strips of, of mummy fabric sort of a thing. But if they would have just added the cloak with the hood, 
that would have sealed it for me. It would have made him look distinctly Ragman instead of just like a mummy. They did that here, and they kept the strips of fabric as opposed to the rags, and it works. I really like the way it looks. No, it's good. I like I like the I like the art in this. I thought it it's an it's the style fits the story and vice versa. I thought it was it was a very first, and I haven't read a lot of Justice League dark stuff in a while, but it I do. I thought this worked and I thought it was, I thought it was intriguing enough. So I think it's a nice one to punch with both of these stories since obviously they're designed to continue in the next issue. Unlike the green lantern stuff where there's going to be different. Well, we know the main story, unfortunately is going to continue into the second, second book, but the other, it's like the other two stories in, in issue one kind of just left out there that it's not going to be like, like the first two issues aren't going to be the same exact stories in part parts one and two thereof. This is clearly being set up for that. And so it's important, really, that both ideally for both stories to work or else it'd be really easy to maybe for some people to go, well, I like the first story, but do I really need to buy it when half, almost half the issue is a story I don't care about? I think this covers the basis where both stories are interesting enough for, especially since it's only what, a two issue run, that I think it makes it real easy to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick up the second issue of this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm 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 really excited about the the Justice League dark stuff, and and I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I don't want to say surprised, but I was pl- pleasantly impressed with the Justice League story in art and story enough that I was like, wow, I am curious about what happens next, and I wouldn't mind reading that story. So to me, Justice League Future State issue one is a win. I would agree. All right, Green Lantern then. Yes, let's go and roll into Green Future State Green Lantern number one. I'm going to start with the Jessica Cruz story. The taking of Sector 0123, obviously a play on the taking of Pelham 123. Uh, this creative team, Ryan Katie, writers, Sammy Basai, artist, Hi-Fi Colors, Dave Sharp, letters, Marquis Draper, assistant editor, Mike Cotton, editor, and Alex R. Carr, group editor. So basically, like most of, well, not all of these stories, because at least, the next the one you're going to do next at least you do have that moment when everybody's ring goes dead uh you have that moment in that story most of these other stories are designed based on the fact that we you you know narratively that the rings have gone dry but you don't in the back because of the central power battery issue but the reality is you don't see it happen people just have to deal with the fallout from it so this story is no different you're in the space space sector 0123 in the uh what the sector house uh and three three Sinestro Corps members show up, Lissa Drac, Lowe, and, and Ugg One, and they show up. Um, so it's kind of cool that they didn't just give you complete schlubs from the Sinestro Corps, especially, obviously, Lissa Drac is relatively upper echelon. Maybe he's not so much as a fighter, as but as far as relevance, as she is the keeper of the Book of Parallax, physically, literally, on herself. And they've come to, they basically have come to raid this sector house because... They're looking for the infrastructure and some of the basically like command and control aspects of the sector house that can help the Sinestro Corps re- basically regains control of the universe. Now that the, that the uh, Green Lantern Corps as a police force is kaput, we find that Jessica Cruz is on this space sector, uh, this sector house, and she is hiding. Or she was so she was there when the, when her ring went dry, uh, when it was a central power battery technically, but then when her ring ran out. So this whole this whole story basically is just set up where 
it's it's I know Dan mentioned this and there's elements of this, which is true that it's almost like alien. There's, I mean, obviously, there's direct callbacks to alien, like with the tr- with the tracking device and the motion detector and things like that. But it's almost like you're watching like the second half of alien when once the alien gets loose on the on the Nostromo, but you're watching it from the alien's point of view. Because and die hard. And, and actually, you know, it's, it's you know, and, and actually there's something else I thought about, too, because it's not a 100 percent perfect analogy, just the alien analogy, only because. The environment was literally alien to the alien that she that the that it didn't it uh, instinctually it reacted and did what because that's the way it was you know created essentially to be a, this perfect organism as we found out later on thanks to prequels but the reality is this environment is completely new so it is it, it, there so there's an element to me of alien in this you're correct about Die Hard you know crawling through the shafts and and staying hidden and picking people off one by one but there's also like an element of something like Red Dawn or any guerrilla warfare movie too because Jessica's taking advantage of the fact that she knows her surroundings and she knows the environment that she's in and she's able to use that to her advantages against the Sinestro Corps members who really don't have any clue about this about how her sector house worked now now if, if it was sora maybe if sora was here then it, then then that would advantage which actually would have been interesting that sora would have you would assume sora would have some working knowledge of this at least structurally of what a sector house would be like so it so it's kind of like an amalgam of die hard alien and any kind of guerrilla warfare movie red dawn or something else so jessica basically starts using her her, her natural her natural abilities her knowledge of of the sector house and she starts picking off the, these three Sinestro Corps members with her rudimentary her basic tools and knowledge and everything else that she still has left so she she takes out Low first and then she takes out Ug One she eventually confronts Lissa Drac and they have an they, they do have an they do have an interesting fight and mind you as a cute little setup here that she's wearing her ring her green lantern ring around her neck on a, on a chain after she beats Low she take he take she takes his green lan- yellow lantern ring and puts it around her neck on the chain too. So as they're she's fighting Lissa Drac at the end and you know Lissa Drac is you know starting to gain the up, upper hand, but Jessica is basically able to connect with the with the with the yellow power battery and it calls to her because of the yellow ring that she has around her neck and basically does it you know the familiar Sinestro core you know you you possess the ability to instill great fear and 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 Jessica basically. At the end of this story, she embraces her fear. It's cool how basically when symbolically, of course, because the chain breaks around her neck that held the Sinestro core and the Green Lantern ring. When the when the Sinestro core ring flies into her hand, the Green Lantern ring drops, bounces on the floor and it just says, welcome to the Sinestro core. And she reaches out and basically she is embracing her fear for what purpose and to what end. We don't know. But that's pretty much the Jessica Cruz story in this in this book. The best um, story in the book, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> It's it's definitely tied for me. Um, oh yeah, the, I mean the, the the one you're doing next is right is right up there. But I think as far as a a nice twist to things, which a nice twist, but on the surface it makes sense based on the things that Jessica has to wrestle with. It makes yeah. it makes perfect sense that fear is fear is always something that has hovered around Jessica from the moment even long before she even got became you know first power ring and then a regular Green Lantern core ring. That fear has always been. A, such a strong component to her that in a way it makes perfect sense that she would be able to wield a Sinestro court ring and the fact that it would be quite it would be something real easy to embrace considering your you know your ring is completely useless your green lantern ring. yeah uh, I really enjoyed the art on this yes personally I thought the art as well as the colors uh, were were very well done um, 
So I so the idea of her getting a yellow lantern ring that's interesting, especially with her history, uh, as well as you know being power ring, not just uh, other things. That was really cool. Lysa being involved automatically pulls me in because Lysa is her home world is Talic IV. I forget what, where that Roman numeral that is. Um, Four. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite characters in the DC universe is from Talic V I I I. I don't know what that is. Um, Did you say three eyes? Yeah. Eight. Okay. So Talic Four is where Lysa is from. Talic Eight is where the Legion of Superheroes own Shadow Lass is from. Uh, so I've always been curious if they're ever going to do anything that connects Lysa to Shadow Lass in some way. Uh, if Lysa has some natural abilities, maybe, of her own uh, that uh, perhaps tie in some way to her abilities as a Sinestro Corps member uh, that, you know, mimic what Shadow Lass is able to accomplish. I always thought that would be interesting to explore. Like you said, they're not bringing in some random created characters as uh, her backup. They bring in Lo, who is definitely a well-known member and a slightly lesser known um, member in, in the, in the form of Ugg, uh, Ugg one or whatever. I mean, we've seen that face plenty of times before, but it's usually in the background, whereas Lo has, you know, a name that we recognize and things like that. Um, I also think it, there's another Legion of superheroes tie in here. Uh, that Ugg in this armory finds an atomic axe and says, I thought these were only in prototype. The atomic axe is wielded by a character known as the Persuader, who is part of the Legion of Superheroes uh, rogues gallery. Um, And the atomic axe is a very powerful weapon in the fact that you know, there are only two things that can can hurt Superman, right? Kryptonite uh, and and magic or, you know, something involving a red sun, you know, things like that. Well, the atomic axe is one of the random ass things that can hurt a Superman or a Kryptonian because the atomic axe can cut through anything for the most part, including splitting an atom. Uh, that's how sharp this thing it can slice or cut through virtually anything uh so but it's a future weapon so it's interesting that this play this thing this story takes place in a sort of near-ish future and all of a sudden a prototype uh of a very powerful weapon is uh a rumored weapon at that is found in a sector house. So I think that's cool. That's a, that's an interesting little shout out. I don't know what causes it to not work. I don't know what Lysa does to bring it offline. Uh, I forget how it's supposed to be operated. If it's uh, based on any sort of, any sort of thought process or whatever, but somehow she deactivates it. Uh, so it's not a threat to her. So that's cool. But uh, between art, between the fact that it's Jessica, between how Jessica deals with it, the ending, uh, the Lysa connection, uh, the random other Legion connection in there, the Yellow Lanterns used. I thought this was really well done. Oh, it definitely was. I mean, I also like right when she's taken out low and she mentions the uh, my old partner said this thing once. I think he heard it from Batman that fear is a gift. Yeah. That obviously that she uses she uses her connection with fear to be able to uh, not only eventually get the ring, but just be able to not necessarily outfight Lysa, 
or Alyssa, but she's able to at least hold her own because of her connection with fear. And so it's that duality of being that she has the ability to overcome fear, but she also has the ability to embrace it and instill it. So, but I, yeah, I think from everything, I, th- I think from top to bottom, when you factor in the story along with the art, I think that to me, that's why this is, that's why this is, I think the best story here. One of them for sure. Uh, so speaking of one of them, we're going to move on to the book of guy or book of guy. Ernie Altbacker is the writer. Clayton Henry is the artist. Marcelo Maiolo is the colorist. Steve Wands does the letters. Marque, excuse me, Draper is the assistant editor. Mike Cotton, editor. And Alex R. Carr is the group editor. In Sector 0345, we find Guy Gardner outside the planet Rarelin, and he is complaining to Badge that he has to take care of a planet that's not even in his sector. Why doesn't, you know, Planty Planterson... Uh, a.k.a. Lantern Olapet, take care of this problem because it's his sector. Badge replies because it'll only take you five minutes and he's busy and you're not. Guy asks why he's taking orders from Squirrel. Uh, Squirrel. Badge says, eat a wormy nut. Uh, so he goes down to address this problem on the surface. The problem being that two warring factions of the same race are fighting over a scrap of metal that landed from space. It is a relic. Um, and they want to slay each other because they're both heretics. Um, they, uh, both sides call each other heretics and he says, uh, you know, Hey, this is a piece of scrap metal. This is, you're fighting over trash. Let me guess your gods want you, want your side to ha- have it. Uh, the wind Walker sent us the relic heretic. He sent it to us. Um, he, he says, I guy Gardner was sent by your wind talker to keep the, to be the keeper of the relic and take it away. And then whoop. The ring goes completely offline. He crashes through the uh, roof of a local uh, shed. Uh, His ring is completely offline, including the translate function. Uh, And uh, he finds himself uh, being bowed to by both sides of this argument while he cannot understand them. He's saying he needs a place to operate out of while he tries to figure this mess out. And maybe not just any place. Then one year later, we see a ramshackle place with the warriors logo on top where he is, uh, you know, like a child with his, uh, I guess, Relian uh, uh, language um, saying, Hey, if my, my recommendations and words to you are dangerous, ask questions. Then five years later, we see him more fluent um, being, you know, taking on more uh, problems of the local natives. Uh, You know, he said, I can't emphasize this enough. Do not kill anyone because they like something different than I do. And one of them says, you clearly said the only jelly worth having is grape. And then the other person says, hence people that do not like grape jelly are heretics. (laughs) Uh, Oh, guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He tells him, so he makes a note to himself not to drink more than two flagons of beer. Uh, What have I said about calling people heretics that it's bad? We shouldn't do it. Okay. All right. Let's stop this argument. And let's, uh, you know, come to a piece over an inaugural game of foosball on this table I've created here. And they say, you know, our people aren't ready for this. We can't do anything together. The only thing preventing us from killing each other is you. If you die or if it was found that you weren't a prophet, there would be genocide once more. So keep any secrets you have and please don't die. Uh, and then 25 years after the power ring has failed, He's uh, got an irrigation system in place. Uh, they're checking forecasts for harvests. Uh, and guy says, next order of business. I can't find the next problem. Help me out. And they say no one's dying of hunger, thirst, or want anywhere. 
uh, no feuds and vendettas, purges. Uh, Gerlin and uh, Herlin are in peace. We finally did it. You did it, Prophet Guy. And most we most humbly, uh, gratefully, and humbly thank you. And Guy's like, all right, this calls for a party. Everybody's partying. Then suddenly someone out in the crowd says the book of Guy is wrong. He confronts them. He doesn't really fight them. He just says, look, uh, your Windwalker wants you to respect each other's beliefs, even if you don't share them. Show me that you've learned. Everybody bows. Uh, and he's like, oh, uh, he turns around. As someone says, you opened a new Warriors and you didn't tell me? Uncool. Prof- and they hear him saying the word prophet. Uh, uh, they're, they're saying a new prophet. Prophet, prophet. And then prophet with a P-R-O-F-I-T. I'm your main man. And it's Lobo on his bike. And Guy says, so damn close. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I wish they had a better ending since I dislike Lobo so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it's, a, it's a nice Guy story. It is. It is a good Guy story. I don't like the art so much. Um, there are moments where I like it, but Guy looks awkward quite often in his style. But he... Fr- Guy's face in the in the early part of this book, when you see a lot of close-ups of Guy's face, it, it works. But as as you see more of his body and as his as the, the older version of Guy and his haircut changes and everything, I don't I don't quite think it looks very Guy-like. But I did I did like I did like the story. I did like the idea that Guy, in in, in his own weird way, was taking that responsibility that he had seriously and he was trying to better better these people's lives and. Yes, it was self-serving to a certain extent because of they, they, obviously they would they would kill him too if they thought he was <laughs> they thought he was a false prophet. But the point but the point is that he really did you know use the abilities that he had and worked hard to try to build a better life and society for these people. So I think that's 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 a that's a noble exile for guy for sure. I mean I I I enjoyed it and the idea that guy Gardner. Uh, can accomplish peace and uh, can manage a civilization and uh, make sure everybody's fed and taken care of and resources are and uh, learn a language yeah, and learn language <laughs> all this stuff and I, I like how I like how this piece of scrap metal goes from being on this podium uh, to being just on the ground in the corner <laughs> at some point <laughs> uh, in this little warrior's temple that he's got going on. Um, so that's that's interesting. I just thought it was cool. I thought it was well done. I, you're right. The art looks odd in some places. I think there's just a style choice that maybe doesn't mesh well. I think also you have to consider the, his clothing during this because like he's got, you know, when his ring goes dead, he's got his own clothes on, earth clothes. And as we proceed through the thing, obviously guy wears like tight earth t-shirts and things like that. As the years go, and, and you can see that after he fell through, after his ring went down, there was a rip in the black uh, on the shoulder of his black shirt. And then one year later, you see a patch on the same shirt. And then you move to five years later, and it is clear that the black shirt is gone. He has taken local fabric and made a shirt out of that, but kept the Warriors logo from his old shirt and stitched it on this shirt. <laughs> so, so this is not a tight shirt. It's not, and I'm assuming, you know, based on a change, a drastic change in his diet, like being on this planet, he's probably lost some weight. Um, it probably kept up some muscle mass as best he could, it looks like. But this is this is a shirt he made himself, so it's ill-fitting on him. Uh, and then, you know, 25 years later, he's wearing, you know, sort of 
whatever local clothing will fit him. And clearly his, his sense of style has impacted the sense of style of the aliens because as his own style changes, so notice, so does the aliens. True. So that's interesting. I just think it's, I, I think there's a lot of cool, subtle stuff in here that they're working with uh, that really works for, for the story. And, and they put a lot of thought and detail into what is essentially just a goofy little guy's story. I agree. I thought it was, I thought it was fun. And for those of you who, who are wondering who Lantern Olapet is, uh, Olapet is the one that looks like a uh, onion bulb pulled out of the ground, righted the other way with like a with furry, uh, rooty, uh, like plant root like tentacles. Probably good he didn't show up there. They might have eaten him when his power <laughs> ring went offline. <laughs> it's possible. Mmm, <laughs> spicy. <laughs> That's one spicy lantern. <laughs> All um, right, so that brings us to the John Stewart story. Yes, last and least. Uh, so we have Last Lanterns, written by everybody's friend in ours, Jeffrey Thorne, Tom Rainey, Mike Atia, and World Design Letters, Clayton Henry and Marcelo Maiello did the cover, Jamal Campbell did the variant cover, which I think I actually, yeah, that's the one I actually have. Yeah, uh, I have both. I have both physical copies. I have the regular cover and the variant. I'm definitely getting the variant for both of these because it's the same artist as doing Far Sector. Yes. I am Mark, Marquis Draper, the assistant editor, Mike Cotton, editor, and Alex R. Carr, group editor. So I'm going to do a bare bones on this because I really don't want to spend a lot of time in this story. So basically you have John Stewart, who is an A-tier lantern, stuck on this stuck on this planet with Corex Dashar with a B, B, B or B minus tier lantern in Salak, a G plus lantern <laughs> in Nort. And they basically came, came onto this planet to rescue the Shar people uh, who without their intervention, you know, thousands or millions of these people would have been killed. But of course their rings, their rings are dead and they're basically fighting these people off using Whatever, rep- whatever physical weapons they have on them or they've gotten from this planet, they're dealing with this cult of the of the god in red. And, you know, the Shar people are, tr- are trying to help them and they're allied with John and, and they've been able to stave off attacks up to this point, but they're basically just dealing with the first wave of cannon fodder. And now they have to deal. And, and, and we should mention what the Kund, the Kund, the Kund is, is in this too, which, you know, at least they're not Durlins, I suppose, but they're not exactly our our favorite group of aliens that we tend to encounter a lot. So there's a big, we do get a kit. We do get a Kilowog cameo in this. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a nice touch. Uh, Kilowog still in his green lantern uniform, but not looking too good in a really weird face on Kil- Kilowog when you get the close up. introduce a whole bunch of new characters into this story. None of which I care all that much about yet. And um, they be, at, at the very end of this story, basically, John Stewart's getting surrounded as all these goons are chanting, you know, you know, the God in red, the God in red. And the whole, you know, watch your six thing that has been goes on a lot in this issue. Nort yells it at the end and he gets, you know, sta- he, he gets, you know, stabbed in the back and like, no, not Nort. And supposedly next issue, the God in red. And that's your ultimate bare bones description of what happens in this issue i'm not a fan of the john stewart look uh it's really it's kind of jarring i know that's probably the point but it takes away from the fact that you again you as we talked about previously if you didn't know it was john stewart in a way you still would know it was john stewart if they didn't tell you it was john stewart you might not put you might not put the two and two together 
because he looks so on John Stewart like. And I don't know this 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 book this story reminds me of like Green Lanterns a little bit because of how Jessica kind of was elevated because of of the schlub she was partners with. If John had had a better team around him, then maybe John wouldn't stand out as much. But as much as Salak is. From a mythological perspective, Salak is important to the core, but he's basically he's an administrator. He's not any legendary kind of warrior. And and Nort, even though they they draw Nort like a combination of Norts on steroids, like maybe like like he, he merged with Werewolf by Night or something the way he's drawn. But still, we know what Norts really is like historically. I, I don't know if that really helps the, the cause other than maybe showing that John John's such a leader that he's able to, like, take take some of the worst street smart green lanterns you could find and basically make them effective at dealing with this threat uh for a certain period of time but i would i would be lying if this was if i said this was anything but my least favorite story of all the stories we've discussed so far tonight all right so my main problem with this story and there i've got a couple of different issues with it that i'll get to i i do want to start with positive but let me let me let me talk about my main negative my main negative is the art now the art is not bad i don't like the art throughout when i don't like the art throughout it doesn't mean the art is bad it means i don't like the style tom rainey did fine i don't i this style does not appeal to me so i will negate any problems that I have with the art from here on out, because it clearly is just not a style that appeals to me. Jeffrey Thorne has said again and again and again and again and again, how much he likes Jon Stewart. I can sort of see that here. I don't think I can see it well through the mess of everything that is happening and the sort of world and situation we're being dropped in. But the moments that I can see it, I can see it well because in the Guy Gardner story, you have John, our, our guy without a ring, happens to find himself on a planet and makes it the best of a situation. And I think the interesting thing of him setting up a bar and, uh, you know, having a foosball table and things like that, he's making the best of a situation. He's a Green Lantern. He's a helpful individual. I mean, obviously, Guy can be a pain in the ass, but at the end of the day, Guy is a good guy. So, you know, he he takes the situation and does the best of it that he can. Uh Jessica trapped on this uh, on this this uh, sector house. For all we know, she may have had opportunities in her communication with other planets to visit other places and leave the sector house. And maybe she has a ship or something like that. That's how she's probably been helping out. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. Um, but she's doing the best she can in this sector that she's in. John, we find in a different situation. John is leading a squad. He has found other lanterns former lanterns and he's still out there helping people in the universe he is actively engaged in cross-planetary fights he is still finding a way to quote-unquote be a lantern that is interesting that is cool they focus a lot on john stewart's military aspect here but if you'll notice the red god is a coond his warriors the van and his vanguard are coondians he, John Stewart is going up against Kund uh, conquerors and invaders without a ring, with a, 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 a ragtag squad. Their goal, as much as I'm assuming that, that they want to beat the Red God and save as many people as possible, with his ragtag crew, I don't believe in reading any of this, 
that they believe that they're that that uh, I, I don't believe their primary objective is to kill the red god. I believe their primary objective in reading the story is to save as many of the native people as they can, which seems to be backed up by the fact that the Shar is that what they're called? Shar, S something like that. I have it. I have it. Yeah, in my notes. yeah. S H A S H A. Yeah, the Shar. Um, uh, and one of them says, "You have our eyes, war leader. Uh, they are here to take Cortex to Shar, and we would let them. It's only a planet, only our home. Our leaders and their vassals fled in the best ships." They left the Shar to die. We would die by the thousands, by millions, had you not come to save us. And now all the Shar can do is run. So the Shar will run. We want them to run. We want our families to live. I am called to Shek. These here with me will fight. We will, and we can only assume, say die. So they got as many people as they could onto evac ships. Everybody else stayed behind to fight to keep the Kund occupied so that as many people could get off world as possible and escape the red God and the invading Kund. And this is a human, the man in the chair from the green lantern Corps, the goofy dog and two others on the ground, leading local civilians against uh, what is supposedly one of the best warrior races in the DC universe in terms of literally the universe at large the multi all, all the planets out there this is one of the supposedly the best alien warrior races in the dc universe five people and a bunch of locals staving off the coon to get as much people off world as possible uh all sort of quarterbacked by a team up uh, in orbit reading the plays from the ground so guy or sorry john is calling this thing as a military man you know, setting up kill boxes and doing all these things as best he can with the resources he can to save as many lives as he can. But he knows he's not going to defeat the enemy at hand. It's just trying to save as many people as possible. So I see all that. I respect all that. I can appreciate what Jeffrey Thorne sees in the character of Jon Stewart and how he's trying to um, trying to save that as much as possible. Now, the the Shar. Uh, that have stayed behind have agreed to fight alongside him and his people. But even when they start, even when they say like, you know what, we're, we're willing to die for all of this. John says, all right, you know, everybody run to the tunnels, go here, go here. He's still trying to save the lives left on the ground. He's trying to save as many people as possible. So it's not just uh, everybody left behind is dead. He's still fighting. He's still fighting. So I appreciate all of that. I, the only problem I have with this, like I said, is the art and, and this, this random place I'm being thrown in the middle of. Uh, it's Green Lantern. You have to appreciate and expect that you're going to get thrown in the middle of an alien world that you don't necessarily understand the politics or the even language of sometimes. Uh, you expect to be able to understand it. That's why we get mad at Morrison when he takes that concept too far. But I feel a little lost when I'm reading this. Uh, I, I'm what I'm assuming that's part of the point because I don't think we're expecting this reality to come 100% true. So I think there's a bit of liberty being taken here with all of this. It's just, uh, do you also sort of get an element of maybe threshold from this? Does this remind you of threshold at all? The threshold, and there now there's a <laughs> there's a name I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I think I think there's probably an element. I mean, another thing I was thinking of, not just because of the name of all this, obviously, uh, Future's End, it reminded me of, too. Yeah. This whole, kind of, this whole event kind of reminds me of that, because, yes, yet again, it's another it's another possible but not set in stone future. Uh, I can see a little bit of that, and I certainly can see the no, the nobility in John Stewart for doing what he's doing to try to save all these people, even though, of course, as long as, you know, Salak and Nort are willing to die and, and, and they're comfortable with that, then that's fine. But because he, because the odds are, he's the odds are very remote that he and his team would get out of this alive. <laughs> but the idea of, you know, of trying to help these people, especially if, yes, he if this whole operation was, he undertook this operation after his ring was dead. Not, not just that his ring would die when they were there, but they actually landed on this planet with uh with their rings already being kaput then yes that's the nobility of it is certainly commendable but i do kind of agree with you with the art too by the way i i think the art does work sometimes but i agree with you this i think the style and, and there's a, there's some inconsistency in the way uh certain aspects or certain characters are drawn too i think that throat that throws me off now you said uh salica is a c-tier lantern is that what you said no i said b minus be my, I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think he, I, I think he's A minus or or B plus because now it depends on our. Are you saying the only? Would you say the only A plus lanterns are the Earth lanterns we're already familiar with? No, no, no. Okay. no. Well I, then, I, well then I would then I would say Salik is is A minus or B plus. But not as a warrior. Not as a warrior, but and I mean he had, a, he had to be a Green Lantern, you know, in action before he became the man in the chair for the core. Probably. He, I mean, he had to have the basic ability. He had to be chosen and or have the ability, you know, if not fearless, to overcome fear, depending on which which version of, of the criteria. But it doesn't mean but it doesn't well, we've mean seen it, him fight before in early yeah, issues I mean, of Green Lantern Corps. I'm just saying in the sliding scale, he is much more of an administrator than he is a fighter. And that's what yeah. and that's what he's used to. And that's what he's used to. So that's why I. I actually thought from a fighting perspective, giving him a B or a B minus, I don't think that was that much of a downgrade. There's a lot of there's a lot of other Green Lanterns that you would rate higher than he if you needed to be in a fight, especially if you needed to be in a fight without a power rating. <laughs> that's pretty much I I'm mythologically he probably is higher. Like that's why I made the point of saying that. That yeah. we know how important he is to the myth to the Green Lantern mythos, but I don't but as far as you know, lanterns that you would want in a fight, especially especially if you you didn't have you couldn't rely on your powering, I don't know if Salak would be you know there are, there are a lot worse lanterns you you, you wouldn't want badge <laughs> a powering probably, but the reality is I would I don't know that 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 was that was the reason why I said what I said about him. Yeah, uh, so you know I think I enjoyed it more the second time uh, the the more times I read it just because you know I understood based you know the the setting is one thing jeffrey thorne pitched this story this is the setting that he chose to to have this in or maybe not maybe maybe he pitched the his john stewart story and this is sort of where they roughly had the idea of john stewart for 5g or whatever so he just had to find a way to fit what his idea was in sort of loosely into what the existing sort of the existing sort of framework for what John would sort of be like, or what the lantern style, uh, the, the, the basic lantern template would be for future for, for 5g. Uh, and this is what he came up with either way. Um, I, I can appreciate that the framing 
may not have been solely Jeff Jeff's idea. Uh, and I can appreciate what he's trying to show here with John. Uh, clearly he's, he's done a good job about that because I, I get it. It's not like it was hard to grasp for me, but it's a comic book. And part of what you, what interests you about a story is the writing. And part of what interests you about a story is the art. The art is not a style that appeals to me. Therefore, naturally half the story I'm just not grabbed by. And the other half, the writing, the plot, the sort of breakdown of where we're at and the situation that we're in makes me feel slightly lost a little bit. But I get it. We're in a possible future. Uh, You're not there's a bit of there's supposed to be some mystery between what between points A and points B that you're not supposed to know. So you are supposed to feel partly confused by where you're at. Um, uh, My what's carrying my interest is the characterization of John because he post lantern rings going dead. He is not just staying in one place and fighting. He is assembled a team and is out there doing the best he can with the resources that he has from planet to planet to planet. And there's a bit of a almost revenge sort of aspect to it or uh, carrying on the mission sort of aspect to it with uh, the two panels that you see Kilowog in. That is true. I mean, John clearly is the character that holds us together. And again, whether John, whether John becomes, whether John looks better, even though he always looks good based on the because he's a good character, may not always be the most exciting character, but he's a good, but he's a, a good character. He's a noble character. He's somebody you'd always want to have your back. Now, whether that, whether John gets buoyed because again, because of who he has with him is not. Certainly, if he was going to be handpicking lanterns to be in a, in a in a in a squad, probably this would not be the group that he would be picking from. Let alone the ones they actually, you know, he wouldn't. Even, they may not be people he would even want in the pool. Ideally, compared to people, you know, other other lanterns he could have. But but that also can reflect well on John because he's able to make them into something. His leadership ability is able to take this, take you know, take you know, you know, take lemons and make lemonade. Essentially, it's. It's not it's not that the story it's not like I hated the story. It's just that I didn't find it overly compelling. And when you look at the other two stories in this book, I was much more. I mean, in all honesty, those stories are, are te- oh, we're not even getting second parts to those stories. And both of those seemed more interesting. They left me wondering what was going to happen next more than this when we know it was a cliffhanger. Yeah. And and it bothers me more because we know that this is the story that's going to roll into, you know, this this characterization and the potential of connecting the dots to get to this future. That's what we're, that this is a story that's going to be rolling over into the into Green Lantern when the, when the new series starts. So this is really the technically the most the most important story that we're going to have in, in either one of these two anthology issues. And yet. It's not the story that I care about, at least for the first three stories. It's not the story that I care about anywhere close to number one, let alone talking about what we read about in Justice League or even in both stories there or even in Generation Shattered. So, I, yeah, it's a, it was a little disappointing, I thought. I think it also has to do with this being the Kundians because yes. the Kundians are a warrior race, but the more and more they use them, the more and more they just seem like cannon fodder. Uh, and they don't seem like as much as a threat as they probably should be. 
my problem with it is that okay so from what i can see here john and his crew on the ground and in in orbit helping to arrange everything aren't getting outplayed in terms of tactics it seems like they're just getting overwhelmed by numbers and while the Kundians should have numbers on their side, especially if they're organized by someone like a, this Red God character, they should also be a threat in terms of ability. So they shouldn't need. To, so if you were if you if you were facing down, if five people, I don't care what five people, are facing down a wave of Kundian warriors, you should be screwed. And they're they're obviously you know Nort gets a knife in the back and all this, but like it's it's almost unrealistic to say that they're able to hold their own for a little bit here. They should have no chance in a way. But again, over the years, the more and more the Kundians have been used, they've become less and less of the you know uh, adept warrior race and more of just cannon fodder conquerors. So I don't I don't know which which Kun, basically my question here is which Kundians are these? Are these the warrior threat or are these just strong conquerors with numbers on their side? It's a good question, but they're not Durlins. So no. that's a plus. No, that's true. I don't think we, I don't think we ever want to see Durlins again. <laughs> talk talk about putting a bad taste in your mouth. It's like, yeah. <laughs> But all right. Uh, anything else to say about uh, the issues we've recapped tonight or even future state in general, if you're reading any other issues that have come out? I am not. Well, I I do have that. But Superman was it worlds of world of war or worlds of war. That was OK. Um, from what I I don't know. I think I may have just skimmed it more than read, read it in a great amount of detail. I'm going to try to get the House of L thing that comes out towards the end of the February. I don't think I'm going to be reading that much more than than the the standard stuff that we just you know we decided for the show. It's the Green Lantern and the Justice League. I'll be giving the number ones at least of every single Future State issue a try digitally. I have physically purchased copies of Green Lantern. I bought like I said I bought both covers, uh, and then I also have Justice League. The other thing I'm getting a physical copy of is Nightwing. Uh, the reason I'm getting that, guys, is because uh, Nicholas Scott is doing the art for Nightwing, uh, the Future State Nightwing stuff. So I absolutely had to get that. And the variant covers for Future State Nightwing look awesome. I know, Mark, I've shown you images of those. Um, so those look really good. Man, I'm trying to find out. Um, uh, there's a the the March solicits show the new creative teams for some of the um, some of the characters after Future State, and I'm pretty sure I remember I'm saying I'm I'm getting the I'm getting the uh, the the Nightwing series proper post Future State because of the creator creative team, and I can't remember if Nicola Scott is supposed to be. Uh, supposed to be on the title moving forward. Honestly, can't remember. I think it's Nightwing 76 is uh, is the issue. Or is it... You know, I don't remember. You'll find it, Chad. Yeah, I'll find it. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting that. Uh, and then uh, someone told me... I haven't read it yet. It's on my list to read it, because like I said, I'm going to get... I'm going to get uh, all 
I'm going to try the first issue uh, digitally of all of them. Someone told me that at the end of Harley Quinn, Obsidian shows up. I haven't read it yet, uh, but uh, my someone at my LCS told me Obsidian shows up at the end of Harley Quinn, or at least maybe one of the bat books that involves Harley Quinn. But I'm pretty sure they said Harley Quinn. That's interesting. Yeah, especially considering that uh, I believe Jade and Obsidian are supposed to be showing shown on the uh, shown on the uh, the cover of uh, in what was it? Is it what is it called? What's the uh, is uh, what future state's going to become? Yeah, uh, what's what's infinite, infinite frontier? Yes, infinite frontier. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, More that's what it. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it, yeah, I, I, I'm curious about that involvement. And by the way, it's, uh, it's, it's not Nicholas Scott. I'm, I'm getting Nightwing because Tom Taylor is taking over the book after uh, Future State's over. And the nice. artist who I don't know, uh, but his name is Bruno Redondo. Uh, the preview pages look sweet. So Tom Taylor is a good writer, and the artist looks good. So let's give Nightwing a shot. So I know I'm getting that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm trying that. And then the house of L thing that you mentioned that comes out, uh, one of the last weeks that future state is, is, uh, hitting shelves. Wasn't one of the, one of the things, um, one of the things that happens, one of those weeks, right. It, it, we just have a crap ton of comics that we're going to be talking about. Didn't we talk about that? Uh, I think we may have, I don't remember partic- in particular what week it was, but yeah, uh, da, 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 da. I'm trying to I'm trying to find what it was because so in I know Infinite Frontier is is scheduled to come out on the third so I'm wondering maybe it's the last week of February is what it was that was the hell week that we were talking about uh, about covering content it could remember. be yeah so yeah House of L comes out that week uh, Generations Forged comes out that week and something else i can't remember uh i think it's supposed to hit that week um but yeah uh the the week of the 24th of february we'll have the the house of l that we'll have to cover and then we'll have we'll have uh generations forged as well and depending on if we have anything else left we might still have another issue of green lantern or justice league or whatever to cover yep I i don't know why i went down this alley so yeah, I don't there. know why you did either. But, yeah, so much dead but, but uh, yes, let's let's not go down any more alleys. <laughs> not in this episode anyway. Uh, but yeah, so we they were the cutting to the chase. What Chad means is that there will be more future state episodes. <laughs> oh yeah. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, and then we have to, and we have Far Sector coming up soon and kicking the kicking Morrison down the road, kicking you know hopefully did that the issue eleven come out this week. Or that soon? Did that come out already? Issue eleven. Uh, I don't. If you don't know it off the top of your head, don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, it, yeah it's I, don't, not I, don't, I don't know. But either way, it doesn't. Even if eleven, it was better than nine and ten. I think we just stick with the plan and do the last three issues together, so we don't have to spend much time on detail because I think we're we're all ready to turn the page on that. Yeah, um, <clears throat> for sure. All right. Well, if someone wants to, you know, take advantage of the contest or tell us what they think about everything that's been going on with Future State, um, talk about their eBay purchases, any of that stuff. How do they do that? 
lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast to track us down there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We are on all three of those platforms. So whichever one or ones you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or text, 708-LANTERN is the number. 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. And that is right. Uh, one quick mention. I did make a guest appearance on another podcast. Uh, you traitorous <laughs> bastard. <laughs> Uh, I met I met uh, a, a network of various people when I attended a Dan DiDio, uh thing, which uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about it at some point, uh, depending. Uh, but regardless, uh, one of those people is a guy who has a podcast, uh, and the podcast is called The Comic Source. Uh, and The Comic Source uh, podcast invited me on to talk about the about the lantern cast uh honestly we didn't we didn't talk about uh comics in terms of a specific issue but jace actually invited me to talk about the lantern cast as a whole uh how we do what we do why we do what we do the origins of the show uh everything um so if you guys have ever been curious about more of the nitty-gritty sort of behind the scenes stuff of what it takes to put out the show uh, obviously, I talk about my own comic book origins and fandom and stuff like that and, and sort of thoughts on the characters and concepts and even current stuff, um, including the Green Lantern issue of Future State. But we also talk about, the, you know, the the hobby of podcasting itself and the logistics thereof. So if you guys are curious about that, uh, go check out the uh, Jace's podcast, the 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 comic source uh, and the episode is titled The Lantern Cast, Comic Book Content Creator Conversation, the Comic Source Podcast. Uh, so I don't believe he has episode numbers. It looks like it's just uh, titles uh, for these things. Two-person show, Jace. Just remember that. <laughs> 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 Thanks for nothing, but it's okay. Uh, uh, we'll, hey, we'll remember I, this. Hey, and hey. Maybe we won't. All right. I told, I told your origin correctly. <laughs> uh, sure. It doesn't. <laughs> apparently, it doesn't matter. Hey, I didn't. I didn't say I brought on Mark this time. <laughs> I may have to go check that out just, yeah. just, just to see. <laughs> I found him in the gutter and I lifted him up to great things. <laughs> oh, all right. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready. That's it. That's all I got. Good. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>